If you take your Bibles and turn to Exodus 18, Exodus 18, Exodus 18. We live in the greatest nation on earth. America has been called the land of promise. And if you don't believe that the, the America has been called the land of promise, just turn on your television and you can hear politicians say, I promise, I promise, I promise, I promise. You'll get that here in a minute, I can tell. Just <laughs> really, there are too many political jokes right now, especially right now. And I'm beginning to get against political jokes because there's too many of them getting elected. Exodus 18, Exodus 18, I'm going to go ahead and read this. It's a little bit lengthy, but I think it's very, very important because I think the Word of God, I know the Word of God, never um, goes uh, void. And this is what it says in Exodus 18, starting in verse 8. And Moses took his father-in-law all that the Lord had done unto Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake, and all the travail that had come upon them by the way and how the Lord delivered them. Uh, just a side note, Moses is telling his father-in-law all the miracles that God has done for Israel and how he delivered them out of, out of, um, out of Egypt. And Jethro re rejoiced for all the goodness which the Lord had done to Israel, whom he had delivered out of the hand of the, Egypt the Egyptians. And Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord, who hath delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh, who had delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods, for in the thing wherein they dealt proudly, he was above them. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, took a burnt offering and sacrifices for God. And Aaron came and all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses, father-in-law, before God. And it came to pass on the morrow that Moses sat to judge the people. And the people stood by Moses from morning unto the evening. And when Moses' father-in-law saw all that he did to the people, he said, What is this thing that thou dost to the people? Why sittest thou thyself alone, and all the people stand by thee from morning until evening? And Moses said unto his father-in-law, Because the people come unto me to inquire of God. When they have a matter, they come unto me, and I judge between one and another, and I do, and I do make them know the statutes of God and his laws. And Moses' father-in-law said unto him, The thing that thou dost is not good. Thou wilt surely wear away both thou and this people that is with thee. For this thing is too heavy for thee. Thou art not able to perform it thyself alone. Hearken now unto my voice. I will give thee counsel, and God shall be with thee. Be thou for the people to Godward, that thou mayst bring the cause unto God. You see how many times Jethro mentioned God there? In verse 20 it says, And thou shalt teach them ordinances and laws, and shalt show them the way wherein thou must walk, and the work that they must do. Moreover, thou shalt provide out of all the people able men, such as fear God, men of truth, hating covetousness, and place such over them, to be rulers of thousands, 
and rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties, and rulers of tens. And let them judge the people at all seasons. And it shall be that thou, that every great matter they bring, shall bring unto thee, but every small matter they shall judge. So shall it be easier for thyself, and they shall bear the burden with thee. If thou shalt do this thing, and God command it thee so, then thou shalt be able to endure, and all this people shall also go to their place in peace. So Moses hearkened to the voice of his father-in-law, and he did all that he had said. And Moses chose able men out of all Israel, and made them heads over the people, rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties, and rulers of tens. And they judged the people at all seasons, the hard causes that they brought unto Moses, but every matter they judged themselves. <clears throat> Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you, Lord, for the opportunity that we can um, go to your word, Lord, to understand and know, Lord, how we uh, need to live our lives as Christians. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord, that at, through the ages, Lord, get your word is as real today as it was uh, many, many years ago uh, when Moses was giving the law. Thank you, Lord, for that. Lord, I pray that uh, this does not go on deaf ears tonight. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. A survey, a survey was estimated that 30 to 35 percent of the U.S. population um, is considered evangelical. Now, I'm not going to try to define evangelical, but it would be um, churches, Christians, people that profess the name of Jesus Christ. 30 to 35 percent of the U.S. population. So basically, 30 to 35 percent of the population could actually decide any election. If 30 to 35 percent of evangelical Christians voted in unison, any election could change. Any election could change. If the unrighteous can neutralize the church in America, they win. And it appears like they've made great strides in doing that. There's another study, is by Pew Research, showed that 62% of Christians, 62% of Christians say their faith has nothing to do with their voting decisions. 62% says that their faith has nothing to do with their voting decisions. America's in trouble, and it's not because of radical leftists. America is in trouble because of the church. That's why it's in trouble. There are three branches of government that comes from Isaiah 33.22. I won't ask you to go there just for time's sake tonight, but Isaiah 33.22, it gives three branches of government. And it basically says that the Lord is our judge. That's the judicial branch. The Lord is our lawgiver. That's the legislative branch. And the Lord is our king. That's the executive branch. And it goes on, it is he who will save us. Our founding fathers took that verse and they took the reference that I gave in Exodus and that is the basis of how they founded the United States of America. So somebody that would tell you that this is not a Christian nation, it was not built on Christian principles, um, they are extremely ignorant or they're liars. 
pick one. Elections are a basic part of how our government works. And by the way, we are not a democracy. Okay? We are not a democracy. We are not a democracy. If we were a democracy, the Constitution wouldn't matter. And we have politicians that would love for you to believe that. Every time I watch a commercial and I hear that word about America being a democracy, I blow a fuse. I blow a fuse. Because I know that it's intentional that they would want you to believe that. Because if you're a democracy, the constitutional republic from which this country was built does not matter anymore. People wave with opinion. A constitution does not wave with opinion. It's the same way with the Word of God. The Word of God is not a living document. It is good for today, for yesterday, and it will be good for tomorrow because it's the Word of God. It never changes. The Constitution was ba based, was built on basically on that very same concept. Government is one of the three institutions that God established <clears throat> along with the family and the church. Paul says in Romans 13.1 that the government authorities that were existed, that exist, exist because they were established by God. Since God established the institution of government, would it not make sense that he would, he would not want his people to be participants in that? Would it not make sense if he established it then why would he tell his people to stay out of it? And that's what many, many churches, many, many Christians would have or want you to believe, and especially people that are radical leftists. See, God expects us to be involved in our government, to make a positive impact, to lead the way for lasting change, just as Christians have done since the founding of our nation. John Adams, one of our founding fathers, said this. He declared that the general principles on which the fathers achieved independence were the general principles of Christianity. When you look at the verse tonight, the, 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 the passage that I gave you tonight in Exodus, I'm going to kind of give you a little bit of preface about that particular passage. You see what happened is... <clears throat> God had just delivered Israel out of Egypt. The last plague was that all, that, that the, um, that all firstborn males would be killed. The death angel would go across Egypt that night. And if there was not the blood, the blood applied to the doorpost, there would be death in that family. After that, Pharaoh decided that he was going to uh, let Israel go. He was going to let the Israelites go. It was one of the massive exodus of slaves ever because it was somewhere in the neighborhood of probably what we estimate is about 2 million Israelites um, left Egypt that night around two million Israelites. Can you imagine having a mass, mass exodus of that size? Well, they got to the Red Sea, 
God parted the Red Sea, they went across, Pharaoh decided that he wanted to chase them to the Red Sea, he went into the Red Sea, and many of them perished, and his army perished with them. Well, when Moses got to the other side, <clears throat> he is like, I've got two million people I'm dealing with, and now what am I going to do? Well, when he got to the other side, he met with his father-in-law. He met with his father-in-law, and he realized to lead that great a number of people to a new land, it would take a great amount of governance. And Moses met with his father-in-law, Jethro, to discuss how to form a government. Jethro made sacrifices to God. Tonight I would say this. He went to his father-in-law because his father-in-law was a wise person. And I would say this, and, and Jethro also, I would say, was a man, a godly person. If you read scripture of how many times Jethro pointed to God over the decisions, it would lead you to believe that Jethro was a godly person. And what I'd say tonight is this, it is important to have wise, godly counsel in your lives. Amen. And then if you go to Exodus uh, 18.21, it says this, Moreover, and now this is uh, Jethro, um, talking at this point, he's given advice to Moses. He says, Moreover, thou shalt provide out of all the people able men, such as fear God, men of truth, hating covetousness, and place such over them to be rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties, and rulers of ten. I'm going to give you, um, I'm going to give you some areas tonight what, what Jethro gave Moses of how to choose leaders. And what I want you to do tonight is I want you to look at this because this is where some of um, the principles for our government today that our founding fathers got this from. This is the way that the, the federal government, the state government, the local government, the municipal government, this is where this came from, from our founding fathers. The first thing that Je Jethro said is he gave counsel that if you're going to choose men, you need, you need to choose abled men, abled men. These are people who are capable of doing the job. This would refer to people of wisdom, discernment, judgment, prudence, fortitude. Abled men who are physically able to do the job, they're mentally able to do the job, and they're spiritually able to do the job. If they don't have the capability to do the job, then they were not to be chosen. I hope Pennsylvanians listen to this tonight. <laughs> Secondly, Jethro said this, when you choose people to rule, you choose men who fear God. Men who fear God. That's the second one, men who fear God. Not only you choose, you choose abled men, but now you choose men who feared God. Now this is Jethro giving advice to Moses on what to do. Those who have a holy reverence toward God. People who diligently seek the will of God rather than the wants of the will of man. George Washington said this, the smiles of heaven can never be expected on a nation that disregards the eternal rules of order 
and right which heaven itself has ordained. Our founding fathers clearly understood that to create a constitutional republic which was to be governed by the people, the people must be governed by the word of God. Our founding father, John Jay, he was appointed by George Washington as the first chief justice of the U.S. Supreme Court. And this is what John Jay said. It is a duty as well as the privilege and interest of our Christian nation to select and prefer Christians for their rulers. This was the first Chief Justice of the United States Supreme Court. And then thirdly, Jethro, in choosing people, not only they were to be abled men, they were to be men who feared God, but thirdly, they were to be men of truth, men of truth. Men of truth is a person of integrity. Those who seek after truth, speak the truth, and judge according to the truth. Benjamin Franklin warned that the New Republic when he said this, only a virtuous people are capable of freedom. As nations become corrupt and vicious, they have more need of masters. Our founding fathers knew if America was to survive, the people would need to elect virtuous leaders. Samuel Adams stated, neither the wisest constitution nor the wisest laws will secure the liberty and happiness of people whose manners are universal corrupt. He therefore is the truest friend of liberty of, of his country who tries to promote its virtue and who will not suffer a man chosen into office of power and trust who is not a wise and virtuous man. And then fourthly, Fourthly, Jethro, in giving Moses advice on choosing leaders, this is what he said, it's hating covetousness. Hating covetousness. Hating covetousness is putting oneself and his own ambitions aside to strive and honor God and his fellow man. The term covetous could mean covetous, the love of money or the love of power. Many politicians today, those are the two things that they covet, money and power. Samuel Adams went on to say this, if ever a time should come when vain and aspiring men shall possess the highest seats in government, our country will stand in need of its experienced patriots to prevent its ruin. Tonight, you can be a patriot on Tuesday. Our founding fathers used this account of Moses' organization to form a government, to establish federal, state, and local government. They also understood the need to elect and choose leaders with the very same basis as found in the last part of Exodus, um, Exodus um, 18 and verse 21. And then... Our form of government, he went on to say this, and place, and this is the last part of Exodus 18, 21, it says this, and place such over them to be rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties, and rulers of tens. See, when we vote, we help determine who will lead our nation, who will make its laws and protect our freedoms. So voting is a simple act with a significant impact.
Our founding father, Samuel Adams, said a lot about this, and he went on to say this, let each citizen remember at the moment he is offering his vote that he is executing one of the most solemn trusts in human society, for which he is accountable to God and his country. Many of the founding fathers considered voting as a sacred responsibility. I go through our, um, our voting in Marion County, for example. I go through there and I see how many people vote on a regular basis. And it's astonishing how many people do not vote. It's astonishing. Um, and again, if the church stood up to vote, you could change any, any election. Benjamin Rush said this. He was another founding father. And he worked for elected officials, and he worked for officials, elected um, officials on both sides of the party. Okay, at that time, there were aristocrats, they were, um, they were Democrats, and they asked him about that. They, they approached Benjamin Rush and they said, you know, you're, you're working for people on both sides of the party, what are you doing? He said, are you aristocrat or are you a Democrat? And this is what Benjamin Rush said. He said, I'm neither, I'm a Christocrat. I'm a Christocrat. Our loyalty needs to be first and last and always to the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to vote his values. And I just now got the introduction out of line, so I'm going to go ahead and get into the message tonight. That chicken's going to have to wait, Reuben. I don't know. But as we look through Scripture, you're like, okay, it is an obligation for a Christian to vote. But how am I supposed to vote? I mean, I, I sit there and I watch the TV commercials and everybody's attacking everybody. Where do they stand on issues? And this is what I'd say tonight. When I go through scripture, I see the sins of a nation that God judges. And he judges entire nations over the sins of the nation. And in many of them, he's destroyed over the issues that I'm about to give. I'm going to give you four areas tonight where God will judge a nation. I believe that all sin keeps us from God. All sin. And I want you to understand that before what I tell you what I'm explaining tonight. But there are sins that God judges much more severe than other sins. Even though all sin will keep us from the grace of God, the throne of God. And this is number one. One of those sins is this, the value of human life or the shedding of innocent blood. Or we can use it a little milder as abortion. We use that term because it, it makes us feel a little bit better about the reality of shedding of innocent blood. Abortion ends the lives of more than 1.3 million unborn children each year. Nearly 25% of all pregnancies, that's one out of every four, end, up, end in an abortion. And the overwhelming majority of those innocent children are simply sacrificed on the altar of convenience. Nearly 60 million babies and counting have been killed by abortion. It's what many call the American Holocaust. 
Abortion is, this is rough, but I'm going to be gut honest tonight. Can I be gut honest? Abortion is premeditated murder. It violates the sixth commandment in Exodus 20:13, and God hates it. Proverbs 6, 16 and 17 says this, These six things that the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination unto him, a proud look, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood. God hates the shedding of innocent blood. His ears are filled with the cries of unborn children being slain in this nation. And there will be a day of reckoning. There will be a day of reckoning. Our Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade, but basically what they did to overturn it is they sent that issue down to the states. They sent it down to the states. So it's the states that decide on abortion. In many states, such as New York, states such as California, um, they not only promote abortion, they are paying for abortions, the states are, and they're going as far as um, allowing abortion all the way up to um, when the baby is born. And at some point, even when the baby is born, they, you can make a decision to take the baby's life. That is murder. That is, that, is, that is directly the shedding of innocent blood. Those babies are innocent. The second one is the value of family, the value of traditional families. The value of traditional families. Marriage between one man and one woman is essential. It's basic necessity for the building block of society in our nation. It's the institution that was created by God. Genesis 1.27 says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. There are two, two genders. Two. Amen. Two genders. Okay. God destroyed entire cities over preventing his plan. Anything else other than two genders is blasphemy to God. The third one is this, is the support of God's chosen people, Israel. Genesis 12, 3 says, I will bless them that bless thee, I will curse them that curse thee, and in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. Nation after nation after nation has been cursed by God because they turned their back on God's chosen people. And the point that America turns their back on Israel, God will judge our nation. And by the way, replacement theology is a false doctrine. God doesn't make a covenant and break it. That's actually against the nature of our God. Then the fourth is this, the value of religious freedom. The value of religious freedom. Freedom is expiring, it's liberating, and it's priceless. Galatians 5.1 talks about freedom, that it must be guarded, it must be protected, and it must be defended. True freedom only comes at a great cost, a great price and a great sacrifice. And it's not only, and that is not only true spiritually with the death of Christ, was that was a great 
great sacrifice that our Lord and Savior paid on the cross to give us freedom. But we are engaged in a war in America that's against communism, socialism, Islam, wokeism, critical race theory, which is another form of communism. And these factions are working to destroy this great nation. If you actually saw what was going on in schools, it would absolutely scare you to death. And I'm talking to a lot of conservative people that's sitting in the pews in a Baptist church tonight, but if you saw what was happening in public schools, it would scare you. Um, a few weeks ago, I was at a <clears throat> board meeting from the State Board School Association, and there was a battle. There was a battle. And I shot pictures, I sent a few of those pictures to our pastor, and um, that was the battle that we're dealing with. And it was the very issues that I just described. It was all the issues that I just described, actually, that God judges nations over. That's the battle at our state level. And we have a state that's actually fighting those issues. And a lot of states aren't. These factions are working together to destroy this great nation. There's no substitute for victory because the alternative is unthinkable. The fight for freedom is never over. We must fight to win it, and then we must fight to keep it. That's why we should honor the brave souls who served our military and never let their sacrifices go in vain. One of the most basic of the freedoms fought for and won is actually found in the First Amendment. And, the, and it, what it says is this, Congress should make no law respecting establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. Unfortunately, our freedom is under fire in America today. Christians are having to take religious freedom battles all the way to the Supreme Court to stop the atrocities. But what they're trying to do is now they're trying to pack the court so that they can overturn many decisions that have been made in the past year. Elections have consequences. Elections have consequences. You see, I didn't discuss our economy tonight, which I could. The Bible says a lot about the economy. It says you don't work, you don't eat, you know, things like that. And, you know, things like debtor. And I'm not going to mention those tonight. Things about debtors um, being uh, slaves to the Anyway, I won't get into those tonight. I'm not going to talk about those. It discusses a lot about foreign policy. I'm not going to talk about that. But the issue that God has destroyed nations over are something that we can't ignore. When we go to the voting booth, because we're choosing the leaders to rule for us, we're choosing those leaders. If you go to a voting, a voting booth and you choose a leader that promotes the murder and shedding of innocent life, it's on you. It's on you. If you go to the voting booth and you support somebody that thinks that there's more than two genders, it's on you. 
If you go to the voting booth and you support somebody and you vote for somebody that um, is anti-Israel, anti-Jews, makes Semitic statements, anti-Semitic statements, that's on you. That's on you. And what I would say tonight, if you vote for somebody that is attacking religious freedom, that's also on you. What I'd ask you tonight is this. Are you going to let God guide your vote? Or are you going to leave your faith outside the voting booth like 62% of Christians are doing? Are you going to vote biblical values or pocketbook promises? Are you willing to trade your godly heritage for a priceless birthright in this nation for basically what amounts to Esau's bowl of soup? Just imagine the difference if Bible-believing Christians went to the voting booth and voted their biblical principles. Can you imagine the moral health of our country, the character of his leadership, and the direction of our nation if we just simply voted biblical values and lived biblical values? Do not let evil men triumph simply because we've done nothing. Christians and I, have you decided to, to follow Jesus to the polls? Will you stand for life? Will you stand for fa family? And will you stand for freedom? And will you stand for the freedom of Israel in this election? If your allegiance is to the culture or a campaign and not Christ alone, then you're not, you're not serving God, you're serving another God. Salt stings, but it heals. You need to be the light that exposes, but it also shines in a way that our only hope is, and that hope is in Jesus Christ. I didn't give, a, I didn't give an evangelical evangelist message tonight, but I want to take just a moment and say this. Nothing matters about what I said tonight if you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Right. Nothing matters. You can be the most conservative person. You can even vote biblical values. You know, you can, you can be one of the guys that she said, hey, Randy, I got this. Man, I, I know exactly what I, how I need to vote. But if you don't have a personal relationship with Christ, it doesn't matter. Because... One day you're going to die and you're going to face judgment. And there's only one way. There's only one way to heaven. There's only one way. The Bible says there's only one way. And tonight, if you have not made that, if you have not nailed that down, I know this morning there were some people that, that raised their hands and said, hey, I prayed for God to save me, but they have not made a public profession of that. I'm just going to say tonight, to needs to be the night to do that. Tonight needs to be the night to do that. Get that settled down. Can you imagine two days before, I would say, one of the most critical elections in, the, in our nation's history? You get that nailed tonight? Wouldn't that be awesome? Wouldn't that be awesome? With every head bowed, every eye closed,